Man, isn't this world crazy right now? See this? Oh, I'll take my. I'll take this off and put it here for now. Otherwise, it'll bother me. Um, this world is crazy right now. But uh, I know there's so many people who are really struggling with the fact that everything keeps changing. But how many know things are going to change? And what I mean by that is, is God's going to change things. Things are going to change. And, and God, God, how many know that God is still completely in control? Amen. He's in control. It seems like every week there's like a whole new outlook for our future, right? Like, oh, that's happening now, right? Like, we're having school. No, we're not having school. You know, you, uh, we don't have to wear masks. You do have to wear masks. You, uh, you can have large gatherings. No, you can't have large gatherings. Like, what is happening? Everything's changing. Um, I was in Menards the other day. Anybody been to Menards? Why do you? Like, did you hear the room? What is the problem? What is, come on, people. Everybody say, things are going to change. Say it like you're happy about it. All right, thank you. Um, so I'm in the service line at Menards the other day. Uh, I was, uh, we've been doing home projects, as is everyone else in the world. And so I'm in line waiting. I had to rent a piece of equipment, and the line was really long. And, this, and so you guys know, mandatory mass in Menards from the beginning, right? I just want to say to you, have some grace for people who are in upper management or lower management or anywhere in as a worker right now. Um, one of the managers there is a friend of mine, and, and he's gone through lots of turmoil. People are posting pictures of him or videos of him on Facebook saying, this guy's a terrible guy. He's a great guy, part of our church family. He's just doing his job, okay? So anyway, so I'm in line. It's really this true story. This happened just the other day. I'm in line. And as I'm, you know, the service area is right there in front. Uh, they have a sign the size of our screen that says you have to wear a mask. And this individual comes in, and he, he basically walks in the door with, a, I want to see a manager. And so the lady's like, yes, sir, I'll get you a manager. And, she, and so the manager comes out, I'm not wearing a mask, and I'm coming in this store. And, and the manager's like, sir, I've... It's policy. Like, I'm sorry, but it's policy. And, and I'm just standing there. And I've become a people watcher. When you become a pastor, you become a people watcher. All of my glasses have the mirrored lenses now. So I can look where I want and nobody knows. Okay? Like, you wonder how I know everything all the time. It's because I'm a professional people watcher. Okay? So I'm just tuning in to what's happening. And the guy is, the guy is just going nuts. I had heart surgery just a little while ago. I can't wear a mask. I can't, and I need to come in here. I need to buy stuff. And you say, he's really, really upset. And I'm just like, ooh, this is interesting. And, and I'm not kidding you. Ten minutes, the service line was long, okay? Ten minutes, I'm standing there, and this guy's going on and on and on and on. And then he goes, oh, so I have to wear this? And he pulls a mask out of his pocket. And he goes, oh, okay. Puts it on his face and walks into the store. And I went into the store after, and he's walking around with the mask on the whole time. And then, not like a minute after he walks in, another guy comes in doing the shirt thing. See this thing? <laughs> you can see the girl. She just got reamed out. She's like, sir, <laughs> you got to have a mask. He's like, I got my shirt. She's like, yeah, that's a shirt. 
And so he just starts swearing at her. F, 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 F. Storms out of there. It is a crazy world we live in. But I want to encourage you today that things are going to change. Things are going to change. Last week we started talking about change, about how God can change any situation in any person, anywhere in the world, on a dime, right? He could do it. And I think the problem we're in right now is so many people feel stuck in what's going on. Like they feel like they're, they're never going to get out of it. They feel like life is, is so messed up that there's no hope for the future. There's a lot of people who feel, uh, to go personal, that in their life they've made enough mistakes, they've done enough things wrong, that they're just stuck and it's, they'll never get out of it. And what that does is leads to depression. It leads to you sinking into this hole of feeling like there is no hope. But guess what? Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. But the devil would love to get you to feel like there is no hope. Because if, he, if you feel like there's no hope, then you don't believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. But Jesus is the hope of the world. And I think that we, we, we have to understand that no matter how bad our situation feels, whether it's personal, political, social, no matter how bad we feel our situation is, that God has the ability to change it in an instant. It doesn't have to take 10 years for you to dig yourself out of the hole you're in in your life. It can happen right now. Right now. I believe God can change your situation if you'll choose to listen to his voice and go where he says to go. I believe that. So I want to talk about change again today. Before I do, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for every person in this place, every person who's watching online. God, your presence is incredible. And God, we thank you that you are here in this place with us and that you are in homes right now with people sitting on their couches or in their lazy boys or driving their car, or wherever they are, God, that your presence is there in this moment. And I ask that as we look at your word, as we read it, as we read about how you have the power to change things, God, that you speak to us and you give us ears that hear your words. Give us hearts that understand your words. And God, give us minds that want to live out what your words are telling us to do. God, let the things that I say today not be mine, not be what my agenda is or my opinion, God. Let the things that I say be the things you need me to say. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. So the way I want to look at how God changes things is by looking at historical every, evidence. Everybody say history. By the way, the Bible is a history book. It is not a story book. There's a big difference, okay? The Bible, the Bible is a history book. It's full of history that's been proven by historians, not just the theologians. So this is what happens. So last week we talked about Jacob. Everybody say Jacob. Jacob, uh, his name that God gave him is Israel. And so God named all of his people after Jacob. And you think if God was to name uh, all of his people for all of time after somebody, it'd be somebody with a pretty good reputation, right? It'd be somebody who did things just right, right? No, Jacob was a liar. He was a cheater. He was a thief. He was unintegral. He did terrible things. He stole things from his own family. He did, he did awful things. So why in the world would God choose to name his people after Jacob? It's because God knows that he can change people. 
And when Jacob begins to follow God's voice, everything changes. And God renames him Israel and says, I'm going to name all my people after you. So we're going to talk about somebody else today. I believe that God can transform his life and he can transform your life. Today I want to talk about Gideon. Everybody say Gideon. Some of you know Gideon's story. Some of you don't. Gideon. So what Gideon's story in a nutshell is that back then uh, Marriott's didn't have Bibles in the drawers. And so Gideon uh, started making Bibles and putting them in drawers at hotels. <laughs> Scratch that. Don't, don't quote me on that. That's, uh, I don't think Marriott was around back then. So you know, maybe Super 8. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not the story. Uh, Gideon is a great person to talk about today because what was happening in the world during Gideon's time is a lot of what really we're seeing in the world today. Okay, it's very similar. Uh, and so I thought this was a great story to tell because it would relate to us, okay? So I want to read. The, we're going to do story time here. We're going to read uh, Gideon's story. And whether you know it or not, you're going to read it again with me. And so, uh, so let's, let's just get into it. So Judges, it's in Judges 6, verse 1, it says this. It says, the Israelites did what? Did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Now, uh, when I went to Israel two Februarys ago, uh, we got to go to places where we saw these, these caves and these, like, crevices. And, I, and, you know, people don't think about, I think when a lot of people think about Israel and they think about God's people and Jerusalem and all of that, they think about the desert, I always did, and I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. I just always thought, you know, people wore sandals. They probably weren't in the mountains, right? And so, so what, what was amazing to me when we went there was that we, we, get, we got out of the bus. We got there at night, and we, we drove to our hotel. We got out of the bus and got into the hotel. In the morning when the, light, when the sun came up, it was mountains everywhere. It was amazing. And so, so there's these, if you go with us next February in 2021, which we'd love, there's still room on the trip. We will go to places where you can see these strong, these places where they hid. And like places, these are the same places where they found things like the Dead Sea Scrolls and all of that stuff in these caves. And so they would go there to be safe, to get away from, from uh, the danger of people invading. So let's pick it up here. Verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, and it was impossible to count them or their camels. Okay, what's interesting, I want you to remember, I won't go into what's interesting yet, I want you to remember that there were so many of them that they couldn't count them. Okay? Can you remember that? All right. It says they invaded the land to ravage it. Verse 6, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but... 
you have not listened to me. Now, obviously, this isn't exactly the situation we live in today. The Midianites are not, you know, bringing their camels to our land to sit on our crops, right? But how many know that the world is not really listening to the Lord? Like, I don't know about you, but I don't really see people listening to the Lord very much right now. And I think there's a lot of people who are really struggling with where the world is at today, and they're going, why, God? Why, why, what's going on here? And I think that this statement, I have done all these things for you. I have shown you. Show us your glory. I have shown you my glory over and over and over. Remember, when this happened, Jesus, or Jesus hadn't even been on the scene, right? Salvation. So, so if we were to cry out to God today, there, there'd be, God could say, look, I did all these things then, and I've done all these things now, and look at all the stuff that I've done for you, and you are not listening. You haven't listened. Okay? But I can just imagine being an Israelite then and being frustrated that God isn't coming through. Like, okay, God, you parted the Red Sea. You gave us the Ten Commandments. You helped us, you know, we blew trumpets and the walls of Jericho came down. We've done all these crazy things and you've done all these things for us. Why can't you do it now? And I think a lot of people are in a, in a similar space in their mind today, in a similar place in their life of saying, why, why hasn't God just come and fixed this whole thing that we're dealing with right now? I've seen it all over social media. People going, why hasn't God done this? Why hasn't he saved us? Why, I mean, come on, God, we need you. But, but here's the facts. Verse 1 starts off the whole story, and it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, and I'm going to say this today, because I'm not afraid of saying stuff that makes people mad, is this. I know a lot of people who are calling themselves Christ followers who are living unashamedly in sin. And they can't figure out where God is. They are living unashamed. So is this you? Are you mad at God because he hasn't helped you out? Or he hasn't come down in a ray of sunshine to the earth to wipe away COVID-19? Whatever it is. But at the same time, you aren't choosing him in your own life every moment, every day. Ouch. Everybody say, ouch. I'm not trying to be harsh. I know that hurts. And I know now I've got you going, I don't really like this guy. But, but you're on video right now, so don't be walking out on me. <laughs> but in our world today... The reason I'm bringing this up is in our world today, people are leaving faith. They're leaving Christianity in droves because of the question, why hasn't God saved everybody? If God really is loving, why is he letting bad things happen? Why, why, are, why are all these things happening? And, and the problem is we need to be asking a dis different question. We need, we need to ask the question, why would God bless people who choose sin over him? And people who are identifying themselves as believers. This is what was happening to the Israelites. 
And it's still happening today. This is exactly what was happening then. And they were mad too. They just didn't understand why. So let's see what happens with them. Judges 6.11 says this. It says, The angel of the Lord came and he sat down under the oak, which must have been some special tree because they called it the oak, not an oak, <laughs> in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite. I'm tired and I'm going to stop trying to pronounce these words. We're just going to skip them. Where his son Gideon where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 13, pardon me, my Lord? Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us. So first he's like, what? And then he's like, what are you talking about? If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? You've heard that. How could your God really be real? Look at the world. Right? The Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? I, could, I see Gideon being very sarcastic. <laughs> Why did the Lord not bring us out of Egypt? But, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. This is exactly what unbelieving people are saying about our God today. With sarcasm added. This God who says, I am so loving. God loves everybody. Where's that God, guys? Right? Where's God when you say so loving? Why are all these bad things happening? Why doesn't God fix this? God has abandoned us or he's abandoned you. But look at what happens in verse 14. The Lord turned to him, to Gideon, and said, Go in strength. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So God's like saying, I'm sending you, Gideon. Verse 15. Gideon again is like, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites. Everybody say all leaving none alive. But I love this. Isn't this the typical answer? So God asks somebody to do something, and they go, me? No. No. God, not me. Like somebody else. Ask Pastor Ross. He'll do it. He talks every day to people about Jesus. It's true. So many people so many of you, God is asking you to speak. He's asking you to step out. He's asking you to pray for somebody. He's asking you to do something. And you're going, me? Me? Do you know my past? Do you know the things that I've done? Do you know my... People would never believe me. My People know what family I come from. They won't. They won't want to follow me. Have you ever felt like you were supposed to talk to somebody about God or go pray for somebody and you didn't do it? And you were like, no way. This is Gideon. You are Gideon in that moment. He's the weakest person from the weakest clan. But what's amazing is that, and what we have to start to understand is that God knows our potential before we see it. 
This isn't my quote, but, but I'm going to share it. It's this. It's God gives you an identity long before it's actualized. Okay? God gives you an identity long before it's actualized. In other words, God knows who you are before you know who you are. That's why the angel came to Gideon and said, uh, said mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, what? You see me? I'm scrawny, and I'm from the weakest family. I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm a wimp. And he wasn't wrong. He was speaking the truth about himself in the moment, the truth that he knew, right? Gideon was a coward. Gideon was hiding in a wine press. And he was threshing wheat so that the Midianites wouldn't steal it from him. And if you read more of the story that I'll paraphrase, is the, the, the man of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, the Lord through this uh, individual says, I want you to go into the city in front of everybody, and I want you to cut down this Asherah pole, which is a pole where they would, they would basically worship Satan. They would worship a pagan god. And they would do sacrifices and all kinds of this, this crazy stuff at this Asherah pole in the city. This is the Israelites worshiping Satan. Okay. I want you to go in there. I want you to cut down that pole. I want you to cut it up into pieces. I want you to make an altar to God the Father, the Creator, and I want you to burn that baby. And Gideon's like, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? He's like, they will kill me. And he's just like, do it. So he's a coward. So he does it in the middle of the night when nobody can see. As quiet as he can. I'm sure his heart was racing. He's out there cutting the pole with his hacksaw or whatever he did. Lights that baby up and runs. He's out. The next day, of course, there were some people who saw him. They call him out. You know, they're like, we're going we're gonna to take Gideon out. He should have never done that. He's a bad guy. And what happens is God protects him. God protects him. And, and remember, he says, me, I'm the weakest, from the weakest clan. And he says, I, the Lord, will go with you. I will go before you. Gideon was not a mighty warrior. Yet God knew his identity before it was actualized, before it came to pass. Did you know that God knows your identity? And you're here right now, and you might not even know it. You might think you know it. You probably do think you know it, and you probably don't. Newsflash. You're not you. (laughs) Right? God knows your identity. Just like he knew Gideon's. So anyway, let's see what happens happens next. So Judges 6.33. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces, and they crossed over the Jordan, and they camped in the Valley of Jezreel, which is a, a huge... Valley. It's. It, I was stood there. You stand when you stand on the top of Mount Carmel. You look out across this incredible valley, and it's so vast that you really. It was a little foggy on our day, but not bad. You couldn't even see, barely see the other side. You could see part of Nazareth, but it was hard to see. But what's cool is right in the middle of that valley now is the Israeli Air Force Base, and so you stand on Mount Carmel, and the jets are like, you know, like all over the place. It's incredible. Come with me. Okay. Anyway. We're going back there. And, uh, and so this is where this is all at. Verse 34. The, the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning a name I'm not going to try to uh, pronounce, uh, announce, and, uh, to, uh, to follow him. 
He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher and Zebulun and another one, so that they too went... <laughs> Whatever. Uh, went up to meet them. So, so Gideon has this moment where he cuts down the pole and should have been killed, and God protects him, so he's feeling a little better. And the Spirit of the Lord comes on, and, and, and he, now he's like, you know, blowing the trumpet and calling people. Uh, and, and so it's a it's powerful moment, right? But Gideon is still unsure. And I think this is where a lot of believers are. You've seen God do things. You know God is real. You've experienced things. He's gone before you in certain situations, but you still have moments of being unsure. This is where Gideon's at. And so in verse 36, it says this, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor and it, in, overnight. And if there is dew only on the fleece and, fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. Verse 38, and this is what happens. Gideon rose early the next day and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew. It produced a bowl full of water. So God's not just like, oh, just sprinkle some dew on it. No, the entire like a, a rain shower from the rainforest poured on that baby, and the ground all around it was, was dry, and he squeezed it out and fills a whole bowl full of water. So God's like, look, I'm with you. Right? No question about it, I'm with you. Of course, that wasn't good enough for Gideon. Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Please, God, don't be angry with me. Uh, let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. So what was that all about? That whole fleece dew thing? It's, thank you, Lord. It's this. Gideon honestly thinks so little of himself that he thinks God really could never use him. And I think that's where we're at. I think that's where you're at, a lot of you. God does great things through other people. But he could never use me. We think so little of ourselves that we think God doesn't want to use us. Or couldn't. Or we just fail. I mean, Gideon was such a wimp that he cut down the pole in the middle of the night. Dude was hiding in a wine press just to make a loaf of bread. And God says, I can use you. Can I use you, mighty warrior? I'll go before you. I think a lot of people are in the business of telling God who you think you are when really God knows exactly who you were made to be. We all want to change the world, right? I think every person in this room, no matter what side of the fence you are on politically or morally or, or honestly, even religiously, I think everybody would like to see the world change. I think most people in here are pro-God. <laughs> but <laughs> that might not be the case. But maybe today, you'll see that God sees you completely different than you see you. We all want to change the world. 
People are praying that God will change things. And, and have you ever thought that God was saying to you, like he said to Gilligan, Gilligan? to Gideon, been a long week, people. <laughs> Maybe he's just saying, I already asked you, didn't I? <laughs> you want change, but I already asked you. Can't you be, I need you to be the change. I need you to be my voice. Yesterday we celebrated the life of an amazing woman of God who went to be with Jesus. And this woman, she lived her life to tell people and to show people and to have people feel Jesus. And I hope that I can be that someday. You can wait a second here, Pastor. I know, I hope I can be like her. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting emotional up here. But... This world is going to change. Things are going to change. But you know how it's going to change? It's when sons and daughters of an incredible God act like it and be sons and daughters. Whew. I need my mask. They are useful. So let me, let me go somewhere else, because that's what I do. Uh, there's a lot of people talking about how the end is near, end times. And I, I'm not going to disagree with you or agree with you today. Um, I do think it's closer than it was yesterday. <laughs> but, uh, but, he, but there's a lot of people. The end is, it, it, it's now, it's, it's happening. Look at all the signs. Look at all the signs. Let's talk about some of the signs, because you're not wrong. Okay. Natural disasters are happening way more than ever before. That's one of the signs we read in the Bible, right? War has been increasing over the last 100 years, last 60, 50 years. It's been increasing. We really are in a state now in the world where there's always a war that's happening of some sort or another. No doubt about it, okay? Famines are happening around the world. Wildfires are happening around the world. Plagues of locusts, like it talks about in the Bible, are happening. Africa had that a whole bunch this year already, okay? Why, all that stuff. We're moving towards one world currency. People are talking about it like crazy. That's all fine and well, but there's a piece missing. It's not going to happen yet. Because it also says that there will be revival throughout the world. I'm seeing that happen in places like China, in Africa, in South America. But you know where I'm not seeing it? It's in the United States of America. I believe it's coming too. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm saying it's going to happen. But what I'm saying is that God needs his sons and daughters to start showing people who Jesus really is. And when that begins to happen, we'll start to see revival in our country and in other places that are strongly influenced by our country. And God can come back. I think he's ready. I don't know about you. I'm ready. You're like, I'm not ready. It's not scary. It's amazing. If you're a believer, it's not scary. It's amazing. <clears throat> you see, I think you and I are an integral part of God's plan. And we need to start acting like it. We 
need to start living it. We need to start being Jesus. We need to give people, we need to give people the love of Jesus instead of our frustration. You don't have to be perfect. Gideon did actually really amazing on his own, by the way. He blew that trumpet, and uh, it says that 32,000 soldiers came to fight. You can't blow a trumpet and have that many people come. You don't have that many Facebook friends, okay? So, like, he blew a trumpet, people, and 32,000 soldiers showed up. That's pretty impressive for the weakest guy in the weakest family, right? So they all show up, and God says, that's too many. Gideon's like, what? Have you seen the size of their army? Do you remember how big the army was? Do you remember? They couldn't count it. So God whittles Gideon's army down. Do you remember? 300 soldiers. 300 against an army you couldn't count. Now, I would like to point something out. This is the thing I said was interesting before that I said I'd wait for. Is that they number, in, in almost every place where you see an army come against Israel, it numbers them. They number them. They say how many came against them and how many Israel had and all of this stuff that happens. And I would like to point out that there is a place in the Bible where it says that one of the armies that came against Israel was over one million. It numbers it at 1.1 million soldiers. And it says here that it was so many they could never count it. And Gideon's got 300 guys. And God says... You're going to kill every one of the enemy. That's probably a long battle for 300 guys. But you know what this, what God was really trying to say when he brought him down to 300? He's trying to say that when I am for you, no one can be against you. No one. Not an army that is innumerable, not a disease, not a political system, not a social structure, not a riot, not anything that is going on in the world can come against you when I am for you. When I am for you. By the way, they won the battle. They didn't even pull a sword out of a sheath. They went down there. They blew some trumpets. They broke some jars. They lit some torches, and the enemy killed itself. And glory was given to God on that day. Because the real warrior is God. And did you know that he is a warrior for you? That he is warring for you. Because you are his precious son or his precious daughter. In whom he is well pleased. And he's saying, will you, will you live out my family legacy? I'm speaking to you guys. God is speaking to you every day, every moment. He's asking you just to say yes. Will you say yes? When God leads you and you feel that thing in your chest when you look at somebody at Walmart later today and you can't see half their face and God says, go talk to that person because they're struggling. Will you just say yes? Because Gideon took 300 people against an army that was more than a million people. And when God is for you, no one stands a chance against you. Let's pray. Father, so grateful that we get to be together in this place today. God, we trust you. We trust you. 
And we know that our world doesn't follow you. We know that right now the world, in our, our world, where we live, hasn't really been paying attention to your word. So God, we make a choice today to pay attention to your word. To follow your leading. God, I pray that today many of us in this place will be motivated to say yes to you when you speak to us. To get up in the morning and instead of saying, what am I going to do today? Saying, God, what do you want me to do today? When we're encountering people that we're saying, God, what do you want me to say today? And God, I thank you that in the midst of that, as we step out in faith to trust you, that we experience your power. We experience you going before us, opening the hearts and the minds of people around us, giving us wisdom, words that we didn't even know we had in us, God. As we choose to be sons and daughters who carry out your legacy. Everybody's eyes closed here. If you're here, and you just heard me talk about this life with God, that he knows your identity, that he has a future for you. And you're going, what? I didn't know that. Or what? I'm not living that, but I want to. I want to give you the opportunity today to make Jesus Lord of your life. You see, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. I have a laundry list of sins in my life, and I still even occasionally stumble. But the fact of the matter is, is that God doesn't see me that way because Jesus paid the price for my sin when he went to the cross. In fact, the Bible says that we are clothed in Christ, that we are covered by him. So when God sees us, when we've made Jesus Lord of our life, when God sees us, he doesn't even see our sin. He sees his own son, Jesus. He sees you as his son or as his daughter if you make Jesus Lord of your life. So I want to give you that opportunity today. You can live out the purpose that he has for you. Things can change in your life. You don't have to be stuck anymore. But you got to make a choice to make Jesus Lord of your life. And then beyond that, you have to make the choice to follow him and to wake up every day and say, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And what do you want me to say? And you watch as God changes and rearranges your life. So if that's you and you're here in this room, Everybody's eyes closed, nobody looking around. Would you lift your hand up if you know you want to make Jesus Lord today? Okay. I see those hands. I see those hands. And if you're watching online, it doesn't matter if you're in this room or not. God is in your room with you right now. And he's speaking to your heart. And Jesus wants to come and he wants to cover those sins and he wants to redeem your life and he wants you to live that life too right now where you are. So if that's you and you're at home and you're saying, yes, I want that, we're going to pray a prayer in this room. And everybody that raised their hand in this room and all of us as a family are going to declare that Jesus is Lord of our lives. And you can do that at home right now. And then and the Bible says we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that he rose from the dead, that he really is God, that he really has done everything that he said, said he's done. He defeated the grave so we don't have to be stuck in the grave. We get to live for him live that identity he has for us. So why don't you, if you raised your hand in here, or if you're online, why don't we just all repeat this prayer together. Say this with me. Say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. Today I choose to make Jesus Lord of my life. I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to live your way. So lead me into the life you created for me. 
into my identity. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate. Yeah, awesome.